Well, it's good to be here with you. I really do cherish now the times that I get to come to Brickell. I used to come almost every week and, uh, and now probably once a month or maybe even less than that, but I really do cherish being here with you and uh, more importantly to hear the stories of what God is, uh, is doing here in the life of this church. Um, you know, as, as uh, the, the pastor of Crossbridge, uh, along with the other uh, pastors that we have at our church, uh, we were praying uh, for this series of sermons. We're three weeks into this series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are journeying towards Pentecost Sunday, which is the first Sunday of June. And, uh, you know, I, I've been praying that God would just bring um, freshness to us uh, and awareness of the third person of the Trinity. Uh, and uh, it would transform the way in which we serve. It would transform the way in which we worship, that we'd be a church that's more expressive in worship, that it would transform our personal worship too, uh, so that we are approach, approaching God uh, with, a, with a greater sense of, of urgency and a, 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 um, a greater sense of importance on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, I'm beginning to hear stories from all the campuses of what God is doing in the midst of our church as we are looking into the third person of the Trinity. And so, uh, so far, uh, we've learned that the Spirit of God is God. It's not a force. And that the Spirit of God is a person as well. And it's a dynamic person that uh, plays many different roles in our development, in our growth, in our maturity as Christians. And tonight we're going to look at one of these roles that the Spirit plays into our lives, which is uh, to come to us as a teacher. Now, uh, in verse 16, uh, Jesus calls the Spirit the helper. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And in verse 26, uh, we read, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, I know that uh, the text, Jesus is calling the Spirit the helper, but I wanted you to pay attention to the root word or the Greek word uh, that is obviously translated here as helper. The Greek word that appears in the text, which it was originally written in Greek, is the word parakletos. And maybe some of the versions uh, you know, that you have, maybe one of your versions is, it translates it as the advocate. Uh, other versions translate it as the comforter. Um, the, uh, you know, other, other, other versions translated as the teacher. Now, you know, when a word has, uh, this many possibilities of translations, you know, it's a rich term. So it's a little bit of each, but I do prefer translating it as teacher because of the context in which this was written. See, like when we think of teachers today, it was different of how they thought of teachers back then in the culture in which Jesus uh, spoke these words. You know, when we think of teachers, we think of someone that uh, we meet for a semester. Maybe uh, we see them about 12 times uh, in the course of a semester in a classroom sen- setting. Uh, we're thinking of teachers that, uh, you know, stand in front of a classroom and they, and they lecture to us. There's no personal relationships to us, with us, and there's assignments given to us and that we have to meet those assignments. But back in those days, a relationship between a teacher and its student, a teacher and, and, and those who would come under his teaching was one that was very, very personal. It was very, very intimate. You know, a rabbi had a very intimate relationship with his disciples. And as you remember, Jesus is a 
a rabbi. Jesus is a teacher. In fact, uh, in verse 16, Jesus says, I will send you another, or the Father will send you another parakletos. Jesus is a parakletos uh, because of his intimate relationship with his disciples. You know that Jesus called these people to follow him, these men, in the beginning, 12, 12 of them, and uh, he spent life with them. He didn't take them to a classroom or to a university, but uh, Jesus lived with these guys, and he traveled with them. Uh, they ate with Jesus. They slept in the same places that Jesus slept. They had intimate and personal conversations with Jesus. They had conflicts with Jesus. Uh, they played with Jesus. Jesus. It was a life-on-life sort of dynamics between Jesus and his disciples. And, uh, you know, the disciples are obviously worried at this point because Jesus is, uh, you know, speaking of his uh, death already. He's alluding to that. This is towards the end of the Gospel of John. Um, He's speaking about this season where he's no longer going to be with them and they're concerned. They don't know what's coming. They can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. But Jesus says, you know, in this transition time, which will come, I don't want you to worry because I will send you another helper. And I want you to have an intimate relationship with this new teacher, with this new master, with this new Rabboni that I'm going to send you. Uh, You know, that that was their context. Uh, There is a, a Jewish rabbi in the Talmud that uh, describes the sort of relationship that one ought to have with its teacher, with its rabbi. And, you know, and he says this, Yose ben Yoheser, he says, let thy house be a meeting house for the wise and powder thyself in the dust of their feet and drink their words with thirstiness. He's encouraging those that have a teacher to take all they can from them. And, I, I, you know, I, I want to call attention to the center line here. He says, empower thyself in the dust of their feet. This, is the, this characterizes a relationship of proximity. Because when one followed uh, their rabbis, they followed their rabbis so close that the dust that they would bring up by, you know, by, by stepping on a dusty road, and, uh, it would be, they would be so close to them that they would be covered in that same dust, the dust of their rabbi. And, you know, rabbis would also teach, and people would sit at their feet, and sometimes they would sit on chairs, and people would sit in front of them, and that's where you get the expression, you know, sitting at the so-and-so's feet, uh, because when they moved their feet, or when they stood and walked around, they would stir up dust, and you would want to be so close you know, to be covered with the dust of your rabbi. It's a relationship of intimacy. You would want to drink every single word that came out of their, their mouth. And so as Jesus points out to uh, the paraclete or to the teacher that he's about to send after his ascension into heaven, I, I want us to uh, take a look at a few details and characteristics of the teaching ministry of the Spirit in our lives. First, I want to look at uh, the credentials of the Holy Spirit as a teacher. Uh, Secondly, I want us to look at the posture of the Holy Spirit as a teacher. Thirdly, the content of of, of his teaching. Fourthly, the method of his teaching. And then lastly, the goal of the Spirit's teaching in our lives. Okay, so five points. That's a little bit uncharacteristic of me because I usually do three points. You know me. But I had to do five points tonight because I'm following the text and I want to break this down really well for you. Uh, But I promise you, it shouldn't take that long. So uh, first, the credentials of of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a big difference between learning from theorists and learning from practitioners. See, if you're going to law school, obviously you're going to learn from some theorists, but obviously you would want to learn from practitioners, from people that actually represented people, uh, from people that been in court, 
that uh, have lived through real-life scenarios of what it means to be an attorney. If you go to med school in the same way, you want to learn from people. You're going to learn from theorists, from researchers, but you ultimately want to learn from people that actually have performed surgeries, have been in ER rooms. I wanted to learn from practitioners when I entered seminary. That's my context as a pastor. Uh, But I saw a huge disconnect because my seminary, the seminary that I first attended in Brazil, was filled with theorists. And I was doing uh, this work as a seminary student out in the projects, working with poor people close to favelas. And what I was doing is I was taking that which I was learning in the classroom, all these big theological terms, you know, quotes from these big German and French books. And I was going to these slums and I was trying to reproduce that which I was learning in the classroom to those people. There's very simple people in the projects and they wouldn't get it. You know, they were like, what? Always over their head. Right. And so I went to my dad, who's also a pastor. And I said, dad, I think, I don't think this seminary thing is really working because I take that, which I learn and I try to apply it into real life ministry context. And, uh, it goes over people's heads. I don't think people are getting anything that I'm trying to teach them. And my dad said, you want to learn, you know, take the opportunity that you're already in the projects. And what about starting a church there? So I started a church at the age of 19 in the projects. And, and that was really my ministry school. That's where I really learned what I, I learned to take that, which I was reading and translating and contextualize the people's language. I, I learned to counsel people and to listen to people. You know, I was this 19 year old kid and, you know, married couples were coming to me with huge issues. And I, I probably messed up so many marriages and, and people's lives. But I'll tell you this, I learned, I learned how to do ministry. And, you know, I teach from a standpoint of, 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 of being with people and, and, and working through a text and trying to preach a text to people. And, that, and, and that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. See, what uh, we read now in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 11 and 12, which is the parallel text that's printed right next to the John 14 text, is this. The Apostle Paul says this about the Holy Spirit. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So here, what is Paul saying? It's in exact congruence to what Jesus is teaching there in chapter 14, that the Spirit is sent from the Father, proceeds from the Father and the Son. Jesus says, I'm going to pray to the Father so that the Father will send you the parakletos, the Spirit. He is God from God that teaches about God. Right? And that's really, really special. So the Spirit can teach us about God because the Spirit is God and the Spirit is from God. Now, this is a big truth to wrap our minds around. It's a big, huge mystery, but that is true. And it has a very simple application that I want to encourage you tonight. You know, we're always talking about how you should be in the Word on a daily basis, that you should, uh, you know, open the Word and have a time with God alone. And oftentimes, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I open the Word and I'm trying to go through a text and learn from a text, and, and it doesn't speak to me, right? I'm just like reading gibberish or something like that. You know, you're, you're, you turn into the book of Leviticus, you're like, why is there so much blood in this book of Leviticus? I, I don't get it. And what I have to do sometimes in my own life, and I want to encourage you to do that as well, as you seek to dig into God's word on a daily basis, is pause and stop and say, Spirit of God, help me to understand the truths in this text. 
See, if you are from God, sent from God, and you are God, and you are in me and for me, then you can explain to me the truths of this text and make practical applications in my own life. Show me where this passage ought to be applied in my life. And I think that if you take that posture every time you approach God's word, or God's word, you will have a fresh experience with it. The same way when you come to church on Sundays, when you walk into this building, some of us walk in and walk out unchanged. And I think that many times the difference, it's not because you have good preachers and better preachers or bad preachers, right? Or even because you're distracted with all sorts of problems in life is because you don't walk in here with a posture of trying to learn from the Spirit of God. How many of you walked into this room tonight and you prayed, Spirit of God, teach me. Show me how this text is applicable in my life. And some of us are afraid sometimes to pray that prayer. I know that I'm afraid sometimes to pray that prayer because I know that sometimes the Spirit is going to touch in very uncomfortable places in my life. But that's necessary if you are going to grow. That's the role of the Spirit. That's why the Spirit has been sent to you and has been sent to us. And those are his credentials. He is from God. He is God for you. Now, secondly, we must also look at the posture of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit comes to teach us. So uh, I know that uh, uh, there are a lot of teachers that are very knowledgeable in their subject matters, but you know at the same time, they're very arrogant because they know a whole lot in their subject matters. I don't know if you've ran into teachers like that in your life, but that's not the posture uh, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a very dis- different posture as he comes to us as a teacher. There's a mixture of patience and commitment, humility and intimacy that's present in the Holy Spirit. So in verse 16, uh, we see the patience and commitment of the Holy Spirit to us. As Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Now, we didn't read the second part. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Uh, Let me show you one thing, then I'll show you two more things. What Jesus is saying about the Spirit is that the Spirit will be sent to us, and he's not going to come into our lives for a season. He's not going to come into our lives for a period of time and then leave us, but he's coming to stay with us. Look what Jesus says in verse 16, forever. There is an eternal commitment of the Holy Spirit to us. Have you ever had people in your life that never gave up on you? When others were giving up on you, that person was not giving up on you. Have you had people in your lives that gave up on you when you were having a hard time learning? It makes a big difference when you have someone in your life that despite the fact that you're taking a long time to learn things, that they're still there committed to you and haven't given up on you. It reminds me of the movie Dead Poet Society. I don't know if you saw Dead Poet Society. There's such a movie. That's part of my generation. Uh, and, and there's a book too. But it's a fantastic movie. Robin Williams plays Mr. Keaton. He's a uh, professor, a very out-of-the-box type of professor, literature professor. He teaches in this boarding school, uh, literature and poetry. And, uh, you know, I remember the scene in the movie when uh, Mr. Keaton gave the students an assignment to show up one day with a poem of their own. And that day arrives and he's calling out students and saying, you know, have you brought your poem? And they're pulling out their poems and he's asking them to read their poems in front of the classroom. And and there's a soft critiquing after that. 
But then there's this student by the name of Todd Anderson. I don't know if you remember Todd Anderson. And he's sitting in his desk and Mr. Keaton goes up to him and he says, Todd Anderson or Mr. Anderson, did you bring your poem? And he says, no, Mr. Keaton, I did not bring my poem. And he, he immediately discerns the reason why that student had not you know, fulfilled his assignment. He says this, you know, Mr. Anderson here, I don't know if you remember that scene. See, Mr. Anderson here, he believes that he is rotten on the inside. The lies that he has chosen to believe, that he wouldn't have anything to share with people, that he would just embarrass himself if he stood up in front of his peers and he read a poem that he created on his own. It would be shallow. It would be weak. And what he says, in, in essence, is he's, he's, he doesn't say that literally in the movie, but he's, he, he has a desire to prove Mr. Anderson in the classroom otherwise. And so he brings, he, he, he brings Mr. Anderson in front of the classroom, and he pushes him. He makes him very uncomfortable. He asks him to close his eyes, to imagine something. And, the, and, you know, and out of that pressure environment, that kid bursts out a beautiful poem. And when he opens his eyes, the whole classroom is looking at him in shock. And he says, that's it. And then he walks up to Mr. Anderson and he says this, don't ever forget this. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit, as I imagine the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to us with that posture of patience. Why? Because he is eternally committed to us. You know, Mr. Keaton could have done two things. He could have looked at Mr. Anderson and says, I'm just going to extend your assignment. Or he could have thought to himself, this kid is never going to learn. And I've had teachers like that in my life, you know, because I've always had a hard time with math that gave up on me. He says, this guy's never going to learn. Maybe he'll compensate somewhere else. And I actually did, right? (laughs) I don't have to use a whole lot of math in my work, in my line of work. And they gave up on me. And maybe, you know, that was God's plan and pulling me in a different direction. But he could have done that with that student, but he didn't. Because he believed in him. He was committed to him. And therefore, he was patient with him. You know, the Holy Spirit comes to us as a teacher from a posture of humility and intimacy. As we read in verse 17, Jesus says two things about the Spirit. The Spirit has come to dwell with us and to live in us. Have you thought about that, how deep that is? How deep of a statement, how comfort, how, how much comfort that statement brings to us. See, the Spirit comes to teach us not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Have you had people trying to teach you at work? You, so let's say you get a, a new job and, you know, you need to learn, you know, the skills of that new job and, and the process of things. And, you know, obviously sometimes they assign someone to teach you. And one thing is when you know that the person is genuinely concerned with your success, they want to see you succeed, and, and then there's people that want to see you fail, right? Uh, and they're teaching from the outside. There are people that get into the inside, and they form a relationship, and then, you know, the learning experience becomes very, very different than someone from the outside. Learning from someone that you do not have a relationship with is not transformational learning. But when you learn from someone that has a relationship with you, that has formed a relationship with you, that is transformational. See, the Spirit is not teaching us from an ivory tower sort of position. The Spirit doesn't come to us and condescends on us, looks down on us. The Spirit is is God. Think about that. The Spirit is holy God. But the Spirit is not disgusted with us. We're messy people. He still desires to dwell with us and teach us from the inside, from the standpoint of an intimate relationship. 
And that is so encouraging. You know, I had someone in my life that was an intimate teacher that did not force change upon me, but invited me to change like the Spirit. You know, I was a difficult uh, teenager. My mom is here. She, uh, she knows about that, and you can talk to my mom about uh, my dark past, and she'll tell you many stories of, 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 of me as a teenager. And, you know, my parents um, obviously are ministry people. They love Jesus, and I was surrounded growing up by godly people, and they all tried to get to me, but no one was able to get to me until this youth pastor that was coming down to Brazil on mission trips. And by the way, he introduced me to my wife, Beth, some 20 years ago. So I'm thankful for this guy, right, for life. So not only did he, um, you know, introduce me to my wife, but he discipled me in the Lord. And he uh, was writing me letters. Even though he lived 6,000 miles away, he kept up the relationship with me writing letters. And I was writing him back. And he was breaking down deep concepts such as the concept of grace and what it meant that God really loved me and what it meant to be in a relationship with him. He would send me Christian tapes at the time because I was really into rock music, bands like Striper and Petra. I don't know if you've ever heard of these bands. I encourage you never to pick up any of those tapes or records. Um, no, they're actually pretty good. Sometimes, you know, I, I, uh, when I'm reminiscing of the 80s, I, I like to listen to those, those songs. But, you know, it was because he took on a posture of a friend and was willing to teach from the inside instead of the outside that I was able to learn, that I was invited to change, not forced to change. See, see and that's what we see in that poet society is that Mr. Keaton, he's teaching these students from the outside. He's not smarter than the other students, than the other professors that those students have. What makes him different, and the reason why the students are really learning, is because he gets involved in their lives and creates a bond of trust and builds an intimate relationship with them. And that's what the Spirit wants to do to you as well. Now, what's the content? What is the Spirit committed to teaching us? Does the Spirit move us, you know, from the basic knowledge of the gospel, of what it takes to be saved and to enter a relationship with God, into more, you know, into deeper things or, 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 or more advanced things in the faith? You can certainly have that sort of understanding if you read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the verses that are there printed, because it says that the Spirit unveils the mysteries of God, that the Spirit searches the deep things of God. But what I want you to see, and I want you to understand is, you know, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they work jointly. They are not, uh, you know, teaching things that the other person is not teaching. They're giving different angles to it, and they have different roles, but it's the same subject matter. The spirit that Jesus sends, the other parakletos that Jesus sends to be with us, is not turning the theological page for us and moving us from the gospel into other subject matters. But what the spirit is doing as he is sent to us is he is unveiling the deeper mysteries of the gospel and allowing us to grow in our understanding of the gospel so that our understanding of the gospel becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, the gospel is so deep that the Bible says that the angels look at it and marvel. See, if the angels were perfect and, you know, perfect beings created by God, they're not sinful beings, look at the gospel and they marvel. It means that the gospel is so, so deep. And that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit allows us to understand the depth of the gospel. And it's to the degree that we understand the depth of the gospel that we are transformed and that we are changed. That's what the Spirit does. 
In the cover of your bulletin, there's a quote by John Calvin. Uh, we Presbyterians love John Calvin. We think he's the smartest guy after the, pat- the patristic age. And, uh, uh, you know, people think that John Calvin didn't teach on the Holy Spirit. He taught a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. And in the Institutes, in fact, he says this, the spirit that is promised to us does not invent new and unheard of revelations and forge new kinds of doctrine that lead us away from the gospel. His job is to seal our minds with the gospel. That's what the spirit is committed to do, is to allow us to understand the gospel in a fresher and deeper way. And that journey continues through all of life. The more you grow, the more you mature, the more you understand of the gospel. And the more you understand of the gospel, the more you mature as a Christian. Those things are mutual. Now, how does that play out in our lives? How does that practically show up in us? How does the Holy Spirit, you know, come and teach us the gospel? Uh, Jesus says right there in verse 26, which was the last verse that we read, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, I think that the best translation after studying this verse would be that the Father will send in my name and he will teach you all that I have said to you. Uh, Sorry, the Father will send in my name and he will teach you all things by, here's where the difference is, by bringing to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here's how we learn all things that we need to for life, to navigate life and to grow spiritually by being reminded of everything that Jesus has taught. And the way in which the Spirit does that is uh, the Spirit takes the gospel and, uh, and, and applies the gospel to real life situations in a very balanced way. And, and in fact, that's the characteristics of good teachers, right? Good teachers are balanced people. That sometimes you're asking them questions to lead them in a certain direction and they you know, completely change gears and they push you completely to the other side, right? When they sense some arrogance in you, they humble you. And when they uh, sense that you are, you know, uh, you know, in your, in, a, in a low spot and you're humbled, he empowers you. That's what good teachers do. They, they throw us from one side to the other. And that's what the spirit does. Up to this point, I haven't broken down what the name uh, paraclete actually means. It's a Greek name and it has two parts to it. I'm going to deal with the back end of, of this word and then I'll, I'll deal with the front end. But, you know, so, so the, the last part of the word is kletos, which is, which in Greek means to call. And, and this is a, you know, a call to, uh, to account. There is, uh, there's a sense of confrontation. It's a strong word. And that's why Jesus in verse 17 calls the spirit, the spirit of truth. Part of the spirit's role in our life and teaching us is to confront us with the truth of the gospel. But the first part of the word is, is para, which means to walk alongside. So here we have the image of a friend that puts his arm around us, filled with compassion. He's bringing truth to us, but that truth that he's bringing to us, you know, comes wrapped in love. See, when you bring truth to people and there's no love in that, people think that you're telling them a lie. See, Truth without love is not truth or doesn't come across as truth. And love without truth sometimes is not love. Why? Because if you don't tell the people that you love the truth, that, does, that means that you probably don't really care for their welfare. 
And the Spirit has that perfect balance, which is very interesting because when you learn about Jesus as well in the Gospel of John, about the character and the person of Jesus, we also learn that Jesus is filled with grace and truth. See, the Spirit has sort of the same character of the Son as he comes into our lives. And he uses that character in us, in our low points and in our high points. You know, some of you are here tonight and you're facing an extremely low point in life. And some of you are facing a high, you know, point in your life. And the spirit uses sort of that dynamics, that balance of truth and love to minister to us in every single scenario in a way that we are transformed and that we grow. So let's think about these two scenarios for some of us that are in our low points. And I want to take this word, the parakletos, and, uh, and, and, and bring that other aspect that some translations sometimes bring out, which is the advocate. It can also be translated as an advocate. See, the second advocate, he uh, sort of has the same role as the first advocate, but his courtroom is different. See, the first advocate, as we learn in 1 John, represents us before the Father in the courts of the Father, telling the Father when we are being condemned for our sins that the Father cannot get another sentence for our sin because Jesus has already satisfied the justice of the Father on the cross on our behalf. Our sins have been paid for. The the Son stands before the Father on our behalf. That's what we learn. Now, the Spirit is interesting because the Spirit is also our advocate, but he stands in another court, an inward court. In Romans 8, uh, the Apostle Paul says that the Spirit of God testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. See, sometimes there's a trial that happens within us. I don't know if you've experienced that before, and I'm sure you have. Where at days, because of things that you've done or things that were said to you or about you, you feel condemned. You're covered in guilt. And then the Spirit sees you in that situation and, and, and teaches you by reminding you that which Jesus has said and done. He comes to you and he says, why are you feeling like such a failure? Why are you feeling condemned? Do you remember what Jesus has done for you on the cross? And if you do, what does that teach you? It teaches you that you are forgiven. And because you are forgiven, you are accepted. You are loved. You're a child of God. And that obviously, when you're reminded of that truth, that lifts you from that place and allows you to grow. So the Spirit visits us in our lowest, but the Spirit also visits us in our highest. And sometimes, you know, when we're feeling prideful because we've accomplished certain things, and obviously the Spirit living in us, this doesn't happen if the Spirit does not live in you, but, um, you know, when, when, when the Spirit lives in you and, and you're feeling prideful because and superior to others because you've accomplished, you got to a certain place in life, the Spirit comes to you with a little needle and busts your bubble and says, look, it's great, it's awesome that you accomplish these things, but guess what? This is a gift of grace. The opportunities that have been given to you, the gifts and the talents that have been given to you are a gift of God's grace to you. And therefore, you should be thankful. And you shouldn't look down on others. You should be humble about that. Be humble, like, like Kendrick Lamar said, if you listen to that song. Now, I want to take that to, uh, 
to, to another situation as well. Because I think that sometimes, you know, being at our highest means being faced with temptations. I don't know if you're like me, but when I'm in a high place, the reason why I actually maybe fear height is because I want to jump, right? So I, have you felt that? Like when you're standing on a balcony or on a bridge, there's this thing inside of you that, ah, that you know, tempts you to jump. A- am I the only one here? No, I'm not. I'm not. I am... I am not the only one here. And, and I feel that, you know, like that's how temptation works in our lives. We at, are at a precipice at times. Like people have wronged us and we're like, man, I'm going to make them pay. Or, you know, you're cheated to lie to get ahead of others at work or whatnot. And, uh, and, and the spirit comes to you and you know, you've been there before. I know that. And the spirit comes to you and says, don't jump. Don't do it. That's a bad idea. You think that you're going to be happier if you make that person pay. You think that you will be happier if you lie and you cheat and you cut corners and you get ahead of others, but you won't. You will be hurt. Do not jump. And what happens when, that, when the Spirit says that to us intimately from, from within? I, I mean, I've actually journaled about this in the past. And I've said, what do you know? I'm going to do it anyways. And then you cross that line, right? And you get hurt. And you get hurt, and now you're filled with condemnation. You're in your lowest, and you're expecting God to punish you, and you're making judgments upon yourself and justifying your failures and why you're the way that you are and why everybody hates you. And I sense sometimes that when I'm at that place, the Spirit crawls into my heart and says, There's no word of condemnation. It is okay. You are forgiven. You are loved. And then the next time, when I'm before the same precipice, the Spirit comes to me and He says, How did it work last time for you? See, and as a result of that, you grow. That's how we grow spiritually. The Spirit does the teaching on the front end and on the back end. Not in a forceful way, but filled with compassion and grace, compelling us to apply the very gospel that Jesus taught and performed for us. And when, and when that begins to happen in our lives, you know, the goal of the Spirit's teaching begins to take place. See, the Spirit wants us to be obedient to Christ. And that's what Jesus says in verse 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments... And keeps them. He is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. The spirit wants us to obey the father. Not for obedience's sake. But for our own benefit and good. So that we become more like Jesus. So that we grow towards our goal. And our maturity which is to become more like Jesus. See, and my prayer to you tonight, as you with me meditate on this passage, is that you would welcome that work in the Spirit in your heart, that you would listen to the Spirit, that you would invite the Spirit into your life. And as He teaches you, that you would be open and humble to that teaching that the Spirit brings in your life. Sometimes it may hurt, but that's okay. It's part of the learning process. The Spirit of God is making you more like Jesus, and that is a good thing. Let's pray.